Ah, good morning. Good to be with you this morning. Good to have all of you here on site and good to have those of you who are joining us from your homes this morning. We're studying the story of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. There is no greater story. There is no more significant, important, or consequential person in the universe than Jesus Christ. In fact, how every one of us as human beings orients our life to Jesus will determine the quality of our life on earth as well as the quality of the eternity that we are going to have one day. And so today we're going to be talking about two very important things that Jesus deals with in chapter 12 of the Gospel of Luke, if you'd like to turn there and follow along. First of all, we're going to be looking at what is the greatest obstacle to being a disciple of Jesus Christ, and that is fear. Fear is the greatest obstacle to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Then Jesus is going to teach us that the greatest distraction to being a disciple of Jesus Christ is the world and worldly things. So let's look at this this morning, but before we get into chapter 12, in order to get some context, I want to back up just a little bit into chapter 11 and then flow into chapter 12. Because again, context is so important. It's why we are seeing the things that we're seeing in chapter 12. If you recall from last week, in chapter 11, especially at the end, Jesus is calling out the religious leaders of Israel. He is pronouncing woes upon them. A woe is a cry for the judgment of God. And these religious leaders don't like that very well. So in verse 53 of chapter 11, it says that the Pharisees began to oppose Jesus bitterly. That means Jesus was going to face intense opposition. Remember that. Not everybody was in love with Jesus. <laughs> in fact, there was a lot of opposition to the life and ministry of Jesus Christ which is why then he says the things he does in chapter 12. If you'll note in verse 1, he's directing his words now directly not to the crowd at large, and it's a, quite a crowd. We are told in chapter 12, verse 1, there's so many thousands of people following Jesus that they're trampling over each other at this point, right? But he directs these words specifically to his disciples about the obstacle of fear. Why? Because many of them who are following him and who are his disciples are going to be martyred for their faith. They're going to have to make a choice between continuing to be faithful and follow Jesus Christ, even if it means death, or to deny him. And so Jesus is, in a sense, trying to get his disciples to see the cost involved, the sacrifice that may be involved, and that fear cannot be a part of a true disciple's heart and life. He, he begins by telling these disciples, hey, beware of these guys over here, these Pharisees. 
and, and beware of their leaven or their yeast. And, and what Jesus is saying is, don't let these fellows over here influence you or intimidate you. Don't let them cause you to be afraid, to, to shrink back, to run away in fright, to, to withdraw from what God maybe has called you to. And, and why are they the way they are? Because notice Jesus says there in verse 1 that they're really hypocrites. The word hypocrite simply means one who's a pretender, one who's literally putting on a mask and playing a part. He's saying to his own disciples, there's nothing genuine, real, or transparent about most of these spiritual leaders. They're just playing games with God. And why is it then that they're so controlling over everything and everybody? Why do they have to be in control and control everybody's lives around them? Because of fear. See, fear many times is driven by insecurity. And these spiritual leaders were very insecure. That's what will happen to us. If we are insecure and we're not secure in God, then that insecurity begins to drive us to fear. And we begin to have to control everything and everyone around us, even though we can't. That's what we strive to do because we're not secure in God. And so Jesus is saying to his own disciples, don't let their fear, their insecurity, intimidate and drive you away from what God may be calling you to. And he says, look, hypocrisy is never hidden from God and it will not be hidden forever. It will eventually come to light. That's what he's talking there in verse 2 about, in verse 3. But then I want to get to verse 4. Notice how Jesus starts this out. He's not only speaking to his disciples, but he wants them to know that beyond the fact that he is their creator, beyond the fact that he has become their savior, he wants them to know that he views them as his friends. He says, I tell you, my friends, and everything then he's going to say to these folks, he wants them to know it's because I think of you as my friend, and that should make a difference in the way you live your life and that you should be able to live fearlessly without being gripped by fear and insecurity. The word friend means someone who is dearly loved. Jesus dearly loved them. He dearly loves you. It speaks of someone who is prized, who is valued. And Jesus wanted them to know that's how he views them. It is someone that you have a deep affection for. So Jesus is saying to them, you're not only my followers, you are my friends. And therefore he says, do not be afraid. Do not shrink back. Do not run in fright. Do not withdraw from whatever your life brings that God has for you, whatever his will is. And then he goes on to qualify it. 
he says, do not be afraid of those who can just kill your body, those who can take away your earthly life. In other words, he's basically saying, you realize that when you and I live in fear of people, we're living in fear of those who are very limited as to what they can do to us. And the fact that if we truly believe that God is in control and that he is sovereign, even what they do to us has to first pass through him. They can't touch us unless that is God's will. And yes, there are going to be times where God's will is for his followers to die as martyrs. Many of his disciples died as martyrs. We know people like John the Baptist and Stephen in the book of Acts died as martyrs. We know down through history, many have. And even today, there are people in different countries around the world, Christians, who literally are giving up their life we in America haven't had to do that yet. And yet, for many of us, we start freaking out when we suffer a little bit of persecution. When someone laughs at us or makes fun of us because we're a Christian or because maybe, you know, uh, we have to suffer a, a little bit simply for being a follower of Jesus Christ. And Jesus saying, do not fear what people can say or do to you. If you're going to live in awe and have a healthy fear, then have a healthy fear of God who your eternal destiny is in his hands. That's why he goes on to say, because it's God who has the last word. It is God who has the last say. And if God wants our life to go a certain way, there's not a thing anyone can do to stop it or change it. And if God doesn't want that to happen, he can also make that happen. He's the one that we should have a healthy reverence and respect for. But again, in the context of he's our creator, he's our savior, he views us as friends, therefore the reverence and respect should not be an unhealthy fear. It should be a healthy fear because we know we are his prized possession. He loves us. We're his friends, his friends. In fact, he then goes on in verse 6 to, to show them some illustrations to try to buoy them up to not be afraid about what people can do and that no matter what the cost is to keep following him because there will be intense opposition to them just as there has been to him. So he says... Are not these sparrows that are flying around? They're just sold for a couple of pennies. Verse 6. He says, but not one of those birds is neglected or forgotten before God. He said, look, God takes care of all the animal kingdom that he's created. And these birds that fly around our, you know, heads and communities and whatever, we don't even give a thought to them. But God does. And he's trying to get them to see if not one of them is ever forgotten off God's radar, a bird that you and I don't even care about. He says, how much more do you think I care about you? How much more do you think I'll never forget you or forsake you? I, I never lose track of you. If I don't lose track of a bird, I don't lose track of you. You're never off my radar. 
God is never up there in heaven at some point going, oh man, I lost Jeff. Where's he at? I, I, I don't know where, I don't know what's happening to him. No. And then he goes on in verse 7 to say, look, God is a God of details. And he knows every detail about your life and your life situation. In fact, he even knows more details than you do. Because he goes on to say, God even knows the number of hairs upon your head. Now, obviously, that doesn't apply to me very much, but you get the point, right? If God knows how many hairs are in, you, you don't know how many hairs you have on your head, those of you that have hair, but God does. So Jesus is saying, if I know that kind of detail about you, then don't you think I know exactly what's going on? In fact, I know more about what's going on than you ever will, because I'm God. I know it all. Therefore, then he says in verse 7, so do not be afraid. You are of greater value and worth than the birds or any of my animal creation. And I care about my animal creation. I take care of them every day. Nobody thinks about that. So I'm telling you as my friends, do not be afraid of these religious leaders who are going to try to intimidate you and get you to back down or anything that you're going to ever face. You keep following me and do not live in fear. Do not live like these religious leaders. Because he says then in verse 8, Whoever will confess me before men, whoever will publicly profess that they are a worshiper of me, I will acknowledge and confess them before God's angels. Is there anybody here this morning that's willing to confess that they are a public uh, professor and worshiper of Jesus Christ? Anybody? Yeah, yeah. Then Jesus says, if you're willing to do that, I'll confess you before God's angels, but if you deny me before men, I will deny you before the angels in heaven. Now, listen, folks. This isn't a one-time thing. We know that Peter, his own disciple, somebody that we're going to see in heaven one day, denied him. This is a persistent and decisive denial. This isn't just, we're all, none of us are going to do it perfectly. None of us are going to be out there all the time standing up for Jesus and, and putting ourselves out there and putting ourselves forward and being the witness and, and testifying and worshiper that we should. But overall, that should be what characterizes our life. That there should be no question in other people's minds where we stand with Jesus Christ. If they know us at all, they should know how much we treasure Jesus, how much we value him, how important, how significant he is, because we make the worship of him and our life with him the priority of our life. The value of who he is to us should be very evident to others around us. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. So then he goes on to say, that when you are brought to the magistrates, when you're brought before the judges, notice he doesn't say if in verse 11, he says when, because <laughs> it's going to happen. He says, don't even worry 
and be fearful about how you're going to defend yourself and what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, at the moment that you need it, not before, but at that moment, he'll give you the words. God will be your defense. Now, I specifically skipped over a verse that I'm sure you all noticed. A verse that gives even a lot of Christians pause. It's that warning about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Pretty significant. Jesus says that anything said against him will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit, it won't be forgiven. Whoa! What's Jesus talking about here, and why is it in this context? What's it have to do with what he's talking about? Well, remember, he's talking about being a witness. He's talking about being a worshiper. He's talking about being someone who's not ashamed to be a follower of Jesus Christ, someone who's a disciple, who's willing to follow Jesus no matter what the sacrifice, no matter what the cost. Apart from the Holy Spirit, you and I can't do that. We can't be a witness apart from the Holy Spirit. I mean, Jesus even taught that to his own followers. It's recorded in the book of Acts. He says, you wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you will have the power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Only through the Holy Spirit can we be empowered to be the worshiper and witness that we should be. It's only by his spirit, which then is why then in verse 12, he says, and don't worry, the spirit will be there for you when you need him to, and he'll give you the words. So Jesus saying, someone who persistently and decisively rejects and resists the message, the ministry, and the moving of the Holy Spirit, nothing you can do for them. Because they're never going to allow the Holy Spirit, first of all, to bring them to salvation. And then beyond that, to be the empowerment and the enablement that they would need to be able to do what Jesus is calling his followers to do, which is to be a fearless disciple of him, no matter what the cost, no matter what the sacrifice. It's only through the Spirit of God. So you and I can't do it apart from the Spirit, which is why it's so significant when the Holy Spirit and his message, his ministry, and his moving is persistently and decisively rejected and resisted. There's nothing more that God can do if we're not willing to get on board with the Holy Spirit. By the way, let me say this before we go on. I've run into so many Christians throughout my ministry who were worried that they may have, you know, done this or could do this. Anybody who's worried about it, it doesn't happen. The, the very fact that you're concerned that you could have done this or you could do this is, is showing you're not in that position. Jesus here, specifically in this context, don't forget, is directing that kind of a verse to those religious leaders who've seen his miracles, who've heard the Holy Spirit work through him throughout his earthly ministry, and they continued to resist it and reject it. He's saying, you better be careful, guys, because you're going to get to a point where it's going to be too late for you because you've said no over and over and over and over again to the Holy Spirit. Fear 
fear. We live in a world of fear. And Jesus is saying, you cannot be my disciple, someone who's fully devoted to me, someone who's going to follow me all the way to what I have for you if you're a fearful person. you got to be willing to lay down that fear and trust me and embrace my will for your life no matter what it costs you, no matter what the sacrifice. Now remember, we said this at the very beginning of our series, that you can be a disciple and you're going to have had to start with being a Christian because that's how you get started. But not all Christians are disciples. Not all Christians have that kind of commitment and devotion to the will of God, no matter what the cost. Some get to a certain point, like, nope, I'm done. That's as far as I'm going to go for Jesus. (laughs) And we even see that in the Bible, you know. So Jesus here is saying, are you willing to go all the way with me? Are you willing to just follow me no matter what? And if you are, then you need to trust me. I look at you as my friend. You can put your life in my hands. I I don't think when John the Baptist or Stephen or any of these other martyrs got to heaven that they were disappointed they gave up their life for Jesus. I think they realized something that all of us one day in eternity are going to realize. Jesus is worth any and every sacrifice. Any and every sacrifice. No matter what. So Jesus is calling on all of us today. Do not be afraid. No matter what my life with you costs you or what sacrifice you have to make, you follow me. It will be worth it all when you see me. The second thing Jesus wants to talk about is the major distraction in our lives, which is the world and worldly things. And he has this teachable moment because in verse 13, somebody from the crowd runs up to him and says, Teacher! Tell my brother to divide this inheritance with me. Jesus, I love his response. Man, who made me your judge or arbiter? Now, here's the deal. A couple things. One, nobody would have been better to judge or be an arbiter in that situation than Jesus. He's God. He knows everything. He could have done it. And so Jesus here is giving all of us a great example Just because we could do something doesn't mean we should. Just because we could get involved with someone or some situation doesn't mean that that's what God wants. If anybody could have gotten involved in any family dispute or dispute between people or whatever, it would have been Jesus. And Jesus is showing us, if you're going to stay focused and not veer off course with what God has for you, you cannot get off course and distracted by getting involved in other people's disputes. Folks, we all, especially in this social media world we live in and in this world where everybody wants to have a comment about everything, we got to take that to heart and stay on course. And not get distracted by getting involved in things that we have no business getting involved in, only because God doesn't want us to get involved. Could we get involved? Sure. Should we get involved? That's the better question. But it's out of that, that ask by this man, that Jesus sees a teachable moment. 
And just like he taught his disciples to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, now he says, be on guard against all forms of greed. Why is he saying that in this context? Because a lot of times wrangling over inheritances are just because of greedy people who are fighting over the things that are left over after someone has died. What is greed? Greed is covetousness. Greed is the desire for more and more no matter how much I have. I'm never content. I'm never satisfied. I always need the next big thing that's coming out on the market. I need the next iPhone 35, you know, I I need whatever is coming. I cannot live without all these things. Now, we'll put that into context in just a minute. Hang in there. Your pastor isn't gone off the deep end. So Jesus says, look, life and one's life, verse 15, consists of more than the abundance of possessions. There's more to life than stuff and things. Jesus would totally disagree with the statement that he who dies with the most toys wins. Jesus would say, no, that's not true. Because all this worldly stuff that we pursue and go after and all that kind of stuff, he says that doesn't add anything to your soul. And you can fill your life up with all this worldly stuff and still have an empty soul. And if you have an empty soul, then you have an empty life no matter how much stuff you have. And boy, did God just continually remind me of this this week as I was driving around the East Valley. Because everywhere I drive around the East Valley, there's either a new apartment complex going up or there's a new storage unit going up (laughs) where we can store all of our extra stuff. And so Jesus gives them this parable. He says there was this rich man. He was a great businessman. His business was booming, so much so that he had to keep expanding. But I want you to notice something in verse 17 and 18. And that is how selfish and self-absorbed and how much self-interest was in this businessman. Because that's really what sets the whole thing stuff in context. Notice he uses phrases like, my crops, my barns, my grain, my goods. It's all about him and what all this stuff can do for him. He has no concept that it's not that God doesn't want us to have things. It's that he doesn't want the things to have us. He he wants us to understand that if we have these things, that we are responsible before him for these things and that we are to be stewards of these things and managers of these things and not to use them just for us, but to use them for his glory and to benefit and bless others. That's the context here. In fact, in verse 19, the guy gets to the point. You can can just picture this. Things are going so well for this guy that he goes out to his backyard. He crawls into his hammock. He has a nice, tall, cold one in his hand. 
And he sits out there and he looks at all his stuff. And he says, Saul, you've got such a great life because you've got all this stuff. He says, you can just kick back, relax, and just enjoy it all for the rest of your life. And then verse 20 comes. But God said to him, and isn't what God says to us the most important thing? Because earlier, he said some stuff to himself. And, and I think one of the things that Jesus is showing us here is what God thinks and what God says is more important than what we even say to ourselves or what other people say to us. And what does God say to him? You fool! Tonight, you're going to die. You're going to die. First of all, why does God call him a fool? The word fool means somebody who is insensitive to God and blind to the things of God, one who has lived their life with the wrong priorities. That's what the word fool means. You've totally missed the mark, Jesus says. You have lived your life for the wrong things. You have prioritized the world and worldly things over God and spiritual things. What does John say? Do not love the world or the things that are in the world because the things of the world are going to pass away one day. But he who does the will of God will abide forever. See, Jesus is saying, the end of this earthly life is coming for all of us. So shouldn't that make a difference in how we orient our lives and what we really are living for? Jesus says, too many are living for the things of this world that are temporal, that are physical, that are material, that are going to pass away. And what does the Bible tell us? We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain and sure we can take nothing out. Folks, I've been a pastor for 38 years. I've done hundreds upon hundreds of memorial services and funerals. I've never seen anyone who died be able to take all their stuff with them. In fact, isn't that what Jesus says there? In verse 20, he says, oh, and by the way, who's going to get all your stuff? Because you got to leave it behind. See, that's the tragedy is so many human beings live for stuff, and then once they're gone, it's other people who get to enjoy it because you can't take it with you. So again, Jesus isn't saying it's wrong always to have things. He's saying just put it in its proper place. Don't make worldly things and the things of this world that are passing away, that are temporal, the primary focus and pursuit of your life. Pursue me. Make me the treasure of your life and, and eternal things what you're primarily living for. And then you'll be able to enjoy a little bit better the things that are worldly that I have blessed you with because you're going to look at them that you're responsible. I'm responsible for how we manage and how we steward those things and how can I use the things that God has entrusted to me to bring glory to him and to bless and benefit others. That's why he goes on in verse 21 to say, so it is with the one who is rich towards himself or lives for himself rather than being rich toward God. Jesus is basically saying, the greatest treasure of our life should be God, not this worldly stuff, and that we should value the riches of God above all other riches. 
and that we should use our resources to invest in eternity and in eternal things, not the temporal, physical things that are not going to last and that we can't take with us anyway. And yet, in this context, why is Jesus taking all this time to talk to his disciples about this? Because it is the biggest distraction for many Christians, the world, and what the world offers compared to what Jesus offers. Because see, in some ways, in order to live for Jesus, we've got to defer our gratification. If we're all in for wanting the best life, then it's now. And, and we've got to grab all we can get that the world has. But if we're willing to put it off, then we know the best is yet to come. And therefore, I can live my life and, and the things that I get, I hold very loosely. Because I know that I'm not going to have them very long anyway. Even if I live to be 80, 90, 100 years old, compared to eternity, it's nothing. So I'm going to live for those things, and I'm just going to let them pass through my hands and enjoy them while I can, but maybe give them to somebody else at some point. But I'm not going to be wrapping my life up in stuff. I'm going to be living for what really matters. And the greatest treasure is the treasure of God. The greatest riches are the riches that God gives us. And sometimes they're better than what money could ever buy. What money could ever buy. The greatest obstacle, fear. The greatest distraction, the world. We need to take the words of Jesus to heart today and ask ourselves, are we willing to lay down fear and embrace the will of God no matter what the cost? Are we willing to lay down worldly things in order to take up the true riches that God wants to give into our hands? Would you stand with me and pray? Our Father, we thank you today that your Holy Spirit has been here and is here. It's his message. This is his ministry. And he's moving amongst us. God, I pray today that all of us here would be orienting and aligning ourselves to you as your spirit leads. God, I believe that just as Jesus called out in a negative way, the religious leaders of Israel, because they weren't right, that Jesus, in a more positive way, was calling out his own disciples to follow him and to say, guys and gals, you got to trust me. You got to lay down your fear and embrace my will no matter what. And guys and gals, you need to be willing to Lay down these worldly things that your arms are holding so that you can take up what I really want to give you, which are the greater riches of the kingdom. So God, I pray that all of us would be willing to do that today, that we would truly say from our heart, take my life, Lord, let it be yours. 
These things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.